Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Greetings, Embers. Welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. I'd like to thank the reformed members of the channel. Howler's Mom, Tina Mead, Seven Luz, Crispin, Tammy Sleeton, C.A.G., Denise S., Through Scrutiny, Samantha Place, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Normie D.W., Christy Elias, Cindy Cleveland, and Patty's Niece. If you would like to learn how to become a member of this channel or would like to buy me a coffee as a special thank you, those links can be found down below. Also, if you are new here and enjoy what you are hearing or you have been here and haven't done so already, please don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and comment as it does help the channel and also remind you of every time I upload a video. With all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes, for once we arise from the ashes, we are bigger, brighter, stronger, and a happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in to get warm, and enjoy this dose of vocal melatonin entitled True Demonic and Exorcism Encounters. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play, and after that there will be no more ads within this video. Okay, for some context, I live with my dad, sister, and cousin. My cousin is male and 16 years old, and for some reason is dedicated to summon some spirits for wealth, good mental health, and one other thing I can't remember now. This was about a year to a year and a half ago as well. I was completely unaware of this until recently when he started talking about some weird dreams he had been having. He then described all the exact details of the dream besides being in different locations of the house that I had a few nights before and that's when I got really worried. Here is the dream. So I start the dream in my room which is at the top of my three-story house and I have an impending doom feeling. So I look down to my stairs and there it is, a dark shadow just standing halfway down them. So I ran at it, trying to run past it to get downstairs. For some reason, I stop right in front of it, feeling the worst burning inside impending doom feeling I have ever experienced. And it just morphs into a dark shadow cat. Then, I kind of snap out of it and start running to the basement of the house, all while it was following me. I get to my dad's room and just start beating on the door and screaming, trying to get him to open the door. And everything just slowly starts to lose sound as the cat comes closer and I'm screaming but no sound is coming out. Then I woke myself up from a whimpering type scream. And my cousin said he had the exact dream but it started at his room which is in the basement as well. The shadow person morphs, he beats on my dad's door and the cat rubs against his leg and he woke up. If that wasn't strange enough on its own, he has started to hear voices calling his name, getting closer and louder each time, telling him to wake up both when he is awake and asleep, even when he is at school and away from home. And today he went to walk to the buses, and there was a humanish shadow figure standing near a barn, accompanied by the sound of thumping that got louder and louder. 
He said he tried to call out to it, but it wouldn't respond, and it set off the motion detector lights at the barn, yet it remained a dark shadow figure. The thumping continued to get louder until it just stopped, and the figure just dissipated. That has been pretty much it. The only experiences I have had her in dreams, and I have had a few dreams like that in the past, just without the shadow figure, but a feeling of doom. Also, I forgot to mention this in the post, but he said it was possibly a beggar-type demon that wears a hood and might have been the one he summoned for fortune. So my questions are, does anyone know what it might be? Is there a way to protect everyone and get it to go away? Or at the very least, protect everyone else who wasn't dumb enough to summon demons really disrespectfully? I thank you in advance. For context, my brother has always said something is following him. This thing he says in his own Flaramie summarizing whispers to him. Jay, fake name for his protection, was diagnosed with schizophrenia and low bipolar disorder, has a heavy drinking problem and drugs, the worst luck you've ever seen and extremely accident prone to injury. This night is the scariest encounter with Jay's demon. The night is cloudy and my friend B and I decided to smoke pot for the first time. We made a fire by the river. It began to sprinkle a little, but there's so many trees by the river that we never really felt anything from the natural tree canopy. It had only been about 30 minutes and we decided to make a fire. The night was so far proving to be pretty fun. That's until it happened. We hear a strange noise, then loud cracking, almost like a tree falling over and snapped every branch. All three of our heads dart to the right as we see a 12-inch thick branch take on a massive weight as it's rocking from the force. I immediately feel this knot of dread in my stomach. No one is speaking, just the noises from the river and crackling of the fire. The best way I can try to describe this is a large black void just landed on that branch. No silhouette, no brief glimpse from the light of the fire. Just an absolute lack of light just crashed through a thick old tree and landed on its branch. I can't tell you why, but in my head, I knew it was looking at us. And if we moved, we were dead. Ten minutes have flown by. It felt like hours, really. I try to break the silence, and my brother grabs my arm slowly and says, Shut the fuck up. Quickly and quietly. Fear has gripped my mind and I can't help but stare back at this thing staring at us. And as quick as it came, it shot back out, straight up through the tree, breaking even more branches on its way up. Like being freed from its grip, my brother shoots out of his chair and starts running back into the house. My friend B and I follow quickly. We confirmed all the details with each other and rarely spoke of it. I don't know what that was. I don't know what it wanted. I just know it's always followed my brother. Either messing with you or slamming doors that still haunts him to this day. Anyone, please, we need advice. Sanctioned by the Catholic Church for centuries, exorcisms are supposed to expel evil spirits that have possessed a human, but some have ended in horrifying murders. The ritual act of real exorcism is referenced in cultures worldwide, and it's a practice shrouded in controversy. The purpose of an exorcism is to expel evil forces that have hijacked the body of a living person and even the Vatican recognizes it as a valid practice. In 2018, the Vatican taught a course on exorcism, training 250 priests on how to properly perform the ritual. The need for such a course stemmed from an upstick in reported demonic possessions. According to Catholic law, only an ordained priest can perform a real exorcism, 
and they must be trained beforehand. However, there have been several reported cases where things went wrong during the ritual, and the person who claimed to be possessed either died or suffered severe mental and emotional injury. While each of these real-life exorcisms is confirmed or corroborated, psychiatrists and even the Catholic Church itself have debated their necessity. Indeed, most of the symptoms associated with these demonic possessions can be explained by modern psychology as signs of recognized mental illnesses like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Some incidents, however, might make you reconsider. The Exorcism of Annalise Michelle, The Real Emily Rose The case of Annalise Michelle was so disturbing that it struck a chord with multiple generations and inspired the 2005 horror film The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Born on September 21, 1952, in Germany, Michelle was a devout Catholic who attended church twice a week. At the age of 16, she blacked out during school and began to behave out of character. Within a year of her blackout, she started wetting the bed and having seizure-like convulsions. A neurologist examined her and concluded that she had temporal lobe epilepsy, which is known to cause spasms, memory loss, and hallucinations. Following her diagnosis, Michelle left home to attend the University of Würzburg in 1973 and it's there that her symptoms dramatically worsened. She began claiming that she could see the devil's face and hear voices mocking her damned spirit. She turned to the Catholic Church for help. Most of the priests she spoke with urged her to see a doctor, explaining that a real-life exorcism required the authorization of a bishop, but soon her condition deteriorated. It was evident she needed help and fast. She began eating spiders, coal, and even the head of a dead bird. She would perform hundreds of squats a day, bark like a rabid dog for days on end, and drink her own urine. Only priest Ernest Alt was convinced that she was indeed under the influence of a demonic influence and received approval from a bishop to perform an exorcism. He and priest Arnold Renz spent 10 months with Michelle and conducted 67 exorcisms during which Michelle claimed to be possessed by Adolf Hitler, Nero, Lucifer, Cain, Judas, and a disgraced priest named Fleischmann. In the end, Michelle's condition worsened to such a degree that she broke her bones in her knees from repeatedly kneeling for prayer. She soon stopped eating food altogether and died of dehydration and malnutrition at the age of 23 on July 1, 1976. A court found Alt and Renz at fault for her death and convicted them of manslaughter, handing down a six-month suspended prison sentence. William Friedkin said his horror masterpiece, The Exorcist, that came out in 1973, in suburban Washington, D.C., for a good reason. The classic film was based on a real-life exorcism of a 13-year-old boy that took place in Cottage City, Maryland, in 1949. Because no one knows the boy's identity for sure, the case is often referred to as The Exorcism of Ronald Doe. The first signs of his possession appeared following the death of his aunt, Harriet. She had been a deeply committed spiritualist and taught the young boy how to use a Ouija board to commute with spirits. Shortly after his first experiments with the board, Ronald reported hearing scratching noises within his bedroom walls and that his mattress would move erratically on its own. Neither medical professionals nor the family minister was able to resolve the situation. So, Ronald's parents sought help from Father E. Albert Hughes, who requested permission to conduct an exorcism. During the ritual, Ronald tore a spring off of his mattress and used it to slash Hughes across the shoulders. When his mother found the word Lois scratched onto Ronald's body days later, she became convinced they should head to St. Louis, 
where a relative was enrolled in college. As a result, she met Father Walter H. Hollerman and Reverend William Baldern, who conducted an exorcism in March 1949 and saw his bed shake with their own eyes. For a month, the priests noted his outbursts only occurred at night. They said he growled like an animal, became enraged at the sight of religious iconography, and made items fly across the room. And when they discovered an X scratched onto his body, it led them to believe that he was indeed possessed by ten demons. The nightly exorcisms only worsened. After Ronald wet his bed and violently cursed at the priests on March 20th, his parents took him to the hospital. A month later, Ronald awoke in convulsions and screams that the devil would always be inside him. But one final exorcism seemed to expel the fallen angel for good. The ritual took seven minutes. Afterward, the attending priests observed Ronald regain control of his faculties and state. He's gone. According to Halloran and Baldern, Ronald Doe claimed to have experienced a vision of St. Michael defeating the devil and never suffered anything like what he had previously exhibited again. The exorcism had worked. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. So, let me preface by saying, I've experienced several things throughout my 36 years that could maybe be unexplained supernatural occurrences. When I was a kid, in particular, I had some reoccurring harassment that would make me feel afraid to be in my room. Enough so that my mother purchased me one of those little red bed tents that us kids in the 80s liked so well. I ran into some odd situations while at sea in the Navy as well. Anyway, I had essentially forgotten about most of my previous experiences. I'd become a somewhat closed-minded skeptic. Even weird things that cropped up as an adult I noted were odd and that I couldn't explain, but I would dismiss them as just being personally unaware of the science behind whatever it would be that I'd witnessed. Three years and maybe some change. Ago, the VA declared me dead, which had just been one in a series of negative events in my life that had started a sort of decline in my expectations for what the future could hold. During that time, a buddy of mine, who's like a brother that I had known since I was six, moved in with me, as his life was also spiraling downwards. Together, one night, we decided to watch a bunch of YouTube videos on how to summon demons and trade things for a better future. I also had two girls related to an ex-girlfriend of mine who needed to escape their abusive family living with me in my finished basement. The basement had no entry from the house. You have to leave the house to go into the basement. 
So it was like their own little apartment and a good deal for a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old, considering I let them stay rent-free, so long as they help with my sons, help with cleaning, and each cook two meals a week. They'll come in to this later. For now, they were just the ones that had suggested to my buddy and myself that we should look at YouTube videos about bargaining with the supernatural. The videos weren't particularly helpful, but we decided to start easy and went with a poor man's Ouija, the game called Charlie. I'm sure everyone is aware of what it is, but just in case you're not, you place the pencil on a piece of paper split into four squares with a yes and no written in opposite corners. One pencil sits in the center and the other pencil is balanced on top of it. You say things like, Charlie, is X true? And the top pencil is supposed to gently spin to the yes or no answer. We did this a few times and had enough success that my buddy actually posted a video of the pencil turning on its own to his Facebook account. Invigorated by our success and the potential to gain loot from whatever would make a deal, we smoked a bunch of super dark reefer and came up with what would essentially be our trade template. We were operating under the assumption that everyone who traded their soul to the devil had done so in such a rush to be famous or rich that they didn't care about their part of the trade or how unbalanced it might be for them. We came up with a 30 for 30 trade. You see, I was 33 when we decided on this, so I figured. 30 years wasn't really that bad to leave a soul enslaved to a malevolent entity for a trade of 30 years alive as a successful human. That bargain in mind, I bothered my cat until it scratched me deep enough to bleed and I pressed my thumb into the cut and then onto the Charlie paper. This, I believe, was the catalyst for the rest of the weird stuff that has continued to this day. My buddy refused to put his own blood on the paper. He was raised Christian, and he became less involved, and more just a witness as I pushed forward. I don't remember verbatim what I said, but essentially I laid out my deal, my expectations, and my offering. I offered up 30 years of service to whatever after my death for 30 years of wealth and influence. I didn't want fame. Fame seems like more work than it's worth. I just wanted to have enough loot to make sure my two sons, who live with me 100% of the time, were taken care of forever and that I would live out the rest of my days feeling successful because I had loot, regardless how I got it. The pencil didn't spin. The lights did not flicker. There was no sudden cold breeze. My buddy and I did have a simultaneous sensation of being watched however we both turned around to see if the girls had come into the house or if one of my sons had woken up and stumbled out nothing we were alone my buddy slept on one of my sofas and i fell asleep on the recliner slash sofa in front of my coffee table where the bloody charlie game rest i slept easy even though i still felt a bit uneasy as if someone were staring at me while I urinated. That's kind of how it felt, but I slept. When I woke up, I followed my usual routine. I didn't even consider it the night before until I had grabbed a cup of coffee. My buddy was still asleep. I typically wake up earlier than everyone else in the house anyway. I sat down in the same spot I had slept, and as I went to place my coffee down, I noticed an odd handprint on my coffee table facing me. The fingertips were pointed towards where I had slept. I actually took a picture of it because it was so strange. It was smaller than my handprint, the fingers were thinner, and there were only four digits, three fingers, and a thumb. The weird part was the nails had seemed to leave an impression on the table too as there were pointed claw-looking impressions. When I say impression, I don't mean the wooden table was scarred. What I mean is, it's a dark surface, 
and it looked like someone had placed a hot, sweaty, oddly shaped hand there long enough to leave a smudgy white imprint. That's why the claw impression being there seemed odd. That and only one hand impression was there. Not two, just the one four-digit hand. I put my hands next to it. My hands were much too big. My buddy's hands were too big. My youngest hands were much too small. My oldest son's hands were too small. The girls came up from the basement, and before they told me about their night, I interrupted them and had them put their hands next to the impression on the table. Both of their hands were too small. Then they told me that I had kept them up all night. They thought my buddy and I had gotten drunk and were jamming out to 90s rock and metal. Truth be told, that's a legitimate assumption. We do that. But the night prior, we hadn't been. In fact, we hadn't had a single drink and we had turned off the videos after we came across the Charlie game. The only noise had been us talking excitedly at some point. The girls, however, said that there was a bunch of loud thumping and constant heavy music, in their words, but they consider corn heavy music, and loud voices. The 18-year-old swore she thought we had a legitimate party going on with more of our friends over. My son, however, heard nothing. It was weird but we all sort of started to dismiss it as odd, noteworthy, but nothing more. That night, my buddy and I looked at some more videos about demons and bargaining with them. We watched a video that claimed that just by watching, you were participating in a demonic summoning. As the night went on, things around the house seemed more uneasy. My buddy and I were both feeling unnerved, and every noise in the house made seemed unnatural. Eventually, we turned on Aqua Teen Hunger Force and passed out. Same places as the night before. The following morning, the coffee table that I had wiped down erasing the previous print now had two of the same impressions on it, both facing me as the one from the previous morning. The only notable difference is that there were two prints and that the thumbs were in the same places as human thumbs would be. However... Once again, they had only four digits and odd claws pointed toward where I had slept. My oldest son immediately became worried and claimed that I was being hunted by the creepypasta, the rake. I confess, creepypastas are whack to me, so I wasn't familiar with the story at the time. I took time to watch a few versions explaining it. I wasn't impressed and it didn't resonate with me as a sensible answer to what had been witnessed. Only the claws and the insinuation that something had been watching me fit. The girls claimed to have another rough night. This time, however, it wasn't noises upstairs. It was the lights in the basement turning on and off and the sound of something scratching at their door. The one door that leads outside into the woods at the very edge of my property. We live in the woods on a mountain with a couple acres of land, so the idea of something scratching on the door isn't far from likely. I've even had bears roaming my land, so something scratching at the door isn't unheard of around here. However, the girls continued having nights of being freaked out, despite that after the third morning of handprints, I had stopped being involved in any odd events. The girls grew so frightened they moved upstairs and slept on the other two sofas. So now the four adults in the house slept in the living room, while my sons slept in their own rooms. I have a bedroom. I just don't like sleeping in beds. Anyway, the girls continued to have odd experiences in the bathroom, feeling like they were being watched. The shower curtain being pulled back when no one was in the room. My sons both woke up with what appeared to be cat scratches on their chest one morning. They seemed superficial enough, but they were spooked because my cats will suffer anything except me using them to dust tables. That's how I got them to scratch me for the original game of Charlie. One night, all four of us heard the scratching at the door, this time on the upstairs door, 
not the basement. I own guns, and I'm a combat vet, so my buddy and I stepped outside, armed, and searched the immediate area. We kept hearing rustling, so we followed it around the edge of the property, until we got down to my basement. We both noticed the light was on, but my buddy was the first to notice movement through the windows. In order to prevent air leaks, the few windows the basement has are covered with weatherproof plastic, so we could only make out the shadow of a head moving back and forth. Whoever it was didn't belong in my basement, and certainly not at nighttime. We came around to the door, which was already opened, and yelled into the basement that we were armed, and that coming forward now would lead to them being safely escorted from my property, whereas jumping out could lead to being injured. There was no response, no sound, but all the lights were on and the door had been wide open. The majority of my basement is open space with just one finished room, save a missing door. The older girl had stayed in there and she had hung a blanket in place of a door. My buddy was standing behind me and when I moved the blanket hanging in the door, the lights in my basement snapped off. A totally audible snap too. My buddy called out, What is it? and ran outside, and I followed out behind him moments later. He was genuinely spooked when I came out, and told me he had to run out, because he was certain I had pushed past him in the dark and ran out ahead of him. So when he had said, what is it, he thought he was talking to me, running past him, despite the fact that I hadn't moved until he left the basement. I closed the door and put a cement block in front of it, we went back upstairs, put the rifles away, and described what had happened. Upstairs, the power had gone out too, but when the girls had gone to the breaker box, which is upstairs in a broom closet by some weird 70s design, the power came back on with no problem, perhaps to the basement as well, though I don't think I noticed whether it did or not. The girls moved out. They still kept in touch and visited, but... They won't stay overnight because they're afraid of whatever I did. They definitely think I loosened something when I tried to make a deal. I've repeatedly pointed out to them that I've received no such bounty as stated in the deal I offered. They pointed out that just a couple months after the first Charlie game, the BA finally fixed their mistake about my status and began playing with me again. They also noted that soon after the game, my writing had been noticed and I've made money with that and gained a smallish following. They also pointed out that my buddy sold his house. Yes, he had a house, even though he was living with me. For a life-changing amount of money, which he used to travel for a while, coming back to this area. There continues to be odd occurrences around the house. We've seen odd footprints in snow and mud outside of the house on the patio and around the cars. We've heard noises in the basement and around the house. Once, the steps to the attic have been pulled down and left open for some reason. I wake up sometimes with inexplicable scratches on my head or arms or legs. But again, all superficial. I don't have any scars from them. And at this point, I can't roll out my cat. I'd scratch me in my sleep too if I used me for a dust rag for kicks. The running joke is that Charlie needs to come out of his pockets if he's going to harass the household. My life is on the upturn now, but I certainly didn't receive the loot I expected for the offer I had made. The girls have told me that they think I let something loose that is essentially angry, that my deal isn't weighted in my favor so it stuck being a minor annoyance, while I make fun of it for not giving me my damn loot. 30 for 30 is a fair trade. I stand by it, and it'll take more than trivia and paw prints to change my mind on that. The Case of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson like Annalise Michael and Roland Doe, 
Arnie Cheyenne Johnson was a typical teenager with no signs of mental illness or criminal history when things took a turn. On February 16, 1981, the 19-year-old resident of Brookfield, Connecticut, stabbed his landlord, Alan Bono, to death and claimed the devil made him do it. Police arrived at the scene to find Bono stabbed in the stomach and chest with a five-inch pocket knife and arrested Johnson within the hour. Their report stated that the two men had been fighting over Johnson's fiance, Debbie Gladzell. However, the infamous paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren claimed otherwise. The Warrens had been hired by the Glatzell family months earlier, when the night terrors of Debbie's younger brother David evolved into something more disturbing. David had described seeing an old man with a white beard during the day and a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features and jagged teeth at night. He had begun kicking, biting, spitting, and cursing at his parents. David appeared to be getting strangled by an unseen presence and experienced seizures. While psychiatrists diagnosed him with a learning disability, the warrants concluded he had been possessed by a demon whom Johnson began frequently taunting. Then, priests conducted three real-life exorcisms that purportedly led David to levitate and predict that Johnson would murder Bono. Johnson had screamed at the demonic voice to possess him instead and leave the child alone. According to his defense lawyer, the demon did just that. It was the first time not guilty by reason of demonic possession was used in a courtroom, though the judge rejected it as a plea. Skeptics felt that the Warrens were hucksters as proof of any priests involved in the exorcisms never surfaced, although the Diocese of Bridgeport did confirm they'd been ordered to keep quiet. Debbie's other brother Carl joined the chorus of Warren skeptics and claimed they took advantage of David's mental health issues. Meanwhile, Debbie Gladzell remains convinced. She said the devil accepted Johnson's challenge and led him to kill. In the end, Irene Cheyenne Johnson served five years of his 20-year sentence, and he and Debbie Gladzell are now married. In 2021, the saga was made into the eighth installment of The Conjuring franchise. The Conjuring, the devil made me do it. So, back in 2015, I happened to experience mystical shit that made me realize the world is one strange place. It was about 8 p.m. and I was going back home from the movies. I dashed my foot against a stone and my body started to run against my will. A supernatural force had hijacked my legs that made me sprint extraordinary. I finally managed to halt and walk normally after being played with for about two kilometers. As I tried to gather sense of what had just happened, I saw something unusual in front of me. Near the signpost of the SDA church that I was a member in was a glowing shadow, a diabolic silhouette that just appeared. What made it creepy was that it was half waist downwards it had no upper body. I was struck with fright and knew my mind could not make up such things. This was real. I started chanting Jesus' name several times. I approached a stranger by the shops and rhapsodized to him what I had just seen and requested him to accompany to our gate. I didn't even see his face because of the darkness. He did not even seem to be shocked by my narration. I did not disclose anything to my parents as we had supper, but Dad noticed my unusual stillness. We prayed and departed to sleep, and that's where my nightmares began. I could not catch sleep that night. I killed time by silently reciting a SDA fundamental belief about Jesus and Christians having the power over the forces of darkness. This really calmed me down. Then, late into the night, 
I felt an ominous presence. The dog outside started barking and flapping its ears, and whenever that happened, I got physically attacked. A force so strong was pressing me down as if it wanted to gain entry into my body. I later thought it was the upper part of the demon that wanted to inhabit me. I sweated, cried, and prayed under my blankets as I longed for sunrise. It was the longest night ever. The next day I realized that my legs were unusually stiff and they could literally just walk up a hill or hop to a spot without me putting in any effort. I had been possessed by a half-genie. My cousin had also commented on my unusual speed when I ran. We were together watering cattle at a river when I decided to exercise this pesky demon. I immersed myself in water and read out a scripture for my pocket testament. When I reached home is when I completed the exorcism exercise. I washed my hands, which were also possessed, wrists downwards. I knew this because I could hold a pen to write and the handwriting was so ugly, it couldn't be me. Whenever I tried to write Holy Spirit, my hand refused. I also wetted my lower half, poured the contaminated water, and got ready for the genie to be expelled. Not sure if it was my stimulating a voice of an angel in my head or if it was real. It talked me through the process and I started convulsing. My thigh muscles contracted severely and so did my hands. It told me to count to 700 and my frozen hands could be set free. I don't know what could have happened if anybody had busted in during this weird stuff. Yes, I was set free and this encounter was truly tragic. Juanita Gomez's Crucifix Murder Geneva Gomez was 33 years old when her mother, Juanita Martinez Gomez, stabbed her to death in August of 2016 in an especially gruesome murder. Juanita claimed she needed to perform a real-life exorcism on Juanita, and in doing so, she used a crucifix to stab her daughter until her face was no longer recognizable, then shoved it down her throat. On August 27, 2016, Geneva's boyfriend, Francisco Morlos, arrived at her mother's house in Oklahoma City. There, Geneva was lying beaten and bloodied on the floor, with her arms spread out in the shape of the cross. On top of her chest was a large wooden crucifix. He later told police that Juanita was standing in the room, rambling about the devil. Juanita was placed under arrest and charged with first-degree murder. In court, she claimed that she had killed Geneva because she was possessed by the devil and she needed to perform an exorcism. She also said that her daughter had been rambling in tongues and spoke in a demonic voice, not her own. She pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. A psychological evaluation concluded that Juanita Gomez was grossly feigning memory problems to appear incompetent, and the judge rejected the insanity plea. Meanwhile, the medical examiner who analyzed Geneva's body uncovered a litany of gruesome injuries to the head and face and established the cause of death was being blunt force trauma. When questioned about bruises on her own hands, Juanita Gomez told police that these resulted from fighting Geneva to rid Satan from her daughter's body. With witness testimony from Merlos and Juanita Gomez's own confession, a jury convicted the 51-year-old mother and sentenced her to life without parole. This was back in 2012, October 2012 to be exact. Let me preface this by saying that the room I stayed in in my parents' house used to be my grandfather's room. It's sort of like an apartment. It's got its own kitchen and bathroom, etc. 
He passed in 2005, and I moved into the room in 2009. Ever since I moved back here, every once in a while, I'll feel a presence in the room. Someone sitting on the edge of my bed, or holding my hand, or I feel like someone's hand is on my shoulder. This is never, ever threatening, and I never feel in danger because I believe it is my grandpa. So, in October of 2012, I was doing my junior practicum student teaching. This is a sort of program where you go once a week to a school and observe before real student teaching starts. It was a Tuesday night, and I only remember this because I went to the school on Wednesdays. It was a considerable distance from my house, so I tried to go to bed early. This one night, I had trouble getting to sleep, which I never have. I can usually pass out anywhere at any time. I began to feel an anxiety come over me and a state of panic. Another thing that never happens to me. In my mind's eye, I kept envisioning a tall, black, humanoid figure with a long red tongue standing in the corner of my room. And at the time, it felt very vivid. But now I can't recall any details about this figure, except that tongue. I began to feel if I stayed in my room any longer, I would be in serious danger. I went into the next room, our family room, and decided to watch TV. I looked above the TV at the cable box and noticed it was 2.59 a.m. The second that digital clock hit three, there were sounds of crickets coming from inside the room and the attached laundry room. Once that box hit 301, everything stopped. Now, I am not a religious person, but my supervising teacher at school is. She had told me that crickets are related to locusts, referring to the biblical plague, and he told me to recite the prayer to St. Michael. He couldn't remember it. He had told me he said that prayer every day and just couldn't seem to remember it. Getting home that day and accompanying days, it seemed as though there was a fog around my room, and the room felt different, just off. I would come home and lay on my bed for an afternoon nap, and the bed started to shake. It got to the point where my mother began to ask me if anything felt weird. She has her own experiences, but that's a different story for a different day. Now, I live in New Jersey, and in October 2012, we were hit by Hurricane Sandy, and we were without power for about a week or so, and I was not sleeping in that room in the darkness. I moved my mattress upstairs to our living room. Every night that week, a bluish-gray fog came up from downstairs and circled the room, and I began to have dreams. Dreams of religious icons and the Virgin Mary falling into the pits of fire. I had realized soon after that I forgot my grandfather's birthday. Usually I'd light a candle at church or something for him. I thought maybe he was angry with me or something, so I went to church and lit a candle. It didn't change a thing. A night soon after, however, I had a dream I was driving with Grandpa down a road. It was a pitch black paved road, and it was super bright on either side, like a desert. My Grandpa had a really thick Irish brogue, and sometimes it was hard to understand him, but he said something along the lines of always being there. The next morning, I told my mom while my younger brother was in the room. And he interrupted me and began filling in details of my dream for me. I asked him how he knew all of this, and all he said was, I was in the back seat. The following night, I had another dream, one of those hypnic jerk dreams where you startle yourself awake, only I couldn't wake up. I was in a dead cornfield with naked androgynous gray children who were dancing around with each other. They kind of looked like the kids on the cover of Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy Album. And from behind these children and up from the ground came a giant black monster. It kind of looked like a dragon. 
I could see the folds in it about as clear as day as it looked down at me. From behind it came a winged humanoid being, I guess an angel, and it had a sword. It stabbed the creature and knelt down in front of me. I woke up. At the foot of my bed was a white, translucent figure. It hovered there for ten seconds before disappearing. As I looked at it, I felt a peace I had never felt before, and I don't think I'm ever going to feel it again. The dreams and everything stopped after that. I never told my youngest brother about the black figure, or the dragon, or the children. But fast forward a year later, and I come home from work, and my brother is sitting in the kitchen table, looking shaken. He tells me he had a dream of naked children dancing around a dead cornfield and a black dragon behind them. No angel came, but he told me when he got ready for school and left, looking out at the window of his room was a large black figure with a long red tongue. That was the last I ever heard of it. I'm still not particularly religious, but I can tell you, ever since that event, I sleep with the lights on and have had routine sleep paralysis. Amy's Stomatis' Real Exorcism In November 2006, Amy Stomatis jumped out of her second-story window in Searcy, Arkansas. Paralyzed below the waist and recovering in the hospital, she was visited by Pentecostal evangelist Cindy Lawson. Lawson, who claimed to have performed 10 real-life exorcisms before, told her that she knew demons possessed Stomatis. The Lord spoke to me and told me to go to the hospital to cast the demons out of her, said Lawson. I could feel something churning. Stomatis' trouble began after a shift at Baptist Health Medical Center in Little Rock. The 49-year-old nurse had just finished writing a report and inexplicably forgot how to do her job. Her skills were gone entirely, leading her to quit. A lifelong runner... She was suddenly unable to do even that. Psychiatrists prescribed antidepressants. Stomatis worsened over time, randomly taking her clothes off in public, screaming at friends, and once climbing a seven-story parking ramp to jump from. While the police managed to talk her down, she ultimately tried again in November from her own home and succeeded. Paralyzed and with voices still haunting her, she put her trust in Lawson. Stomatis had suffered through hearing voices, whisper suggestions to kill herself for seven months before she jumped out the window and was unable to find help anywhere she turned. Ultimately, she agreed to let Lawson perform an exorcism. In the medical world, they need to put a name to it, said Stomatis. They don't understand because they have never dealt with these types of demons. So how are they going to fight against something that you don't know how to fight, that you don't understand? Lawson performed her first real-life exorcism on a nine-year-old boy and said that he levitated during the ritual. She claimed to have seen subjects change their eye color mid-exorcism, foam at the mouth, or speak in guttural, demonic voices. She said her vocation was initially terrifying but that God had called her to it. While Stomatis doesn't remember her real-life exorcism, the family members who attended all agreed that there had been an instantaneous change when it finished. While the former nurse remained paralyzed, her exorcist is convinced that God will eventually even heal her of that, too. Christy Bamu's Fatal Exorcism Not every exorcism ends with a success story. In fact, many real-life exorcisms are fatal after suffering. And that is especially true in the cases of unsanctioned exorcisms. For 15-year-old Parisian Christy Bamu, the suffering was at the hands of none other than her own sister and her boyfriend. 
In 2010, Bamu traveled from Paris to London with his two sisters and a brother for Christmas to visit their 27-year-old sister, Magali, and her boyfriend, Eric Bikubai. Suddenly, he found himself a target of their fanatic religious beliefs. Magali and Eric were obsessed with the evils of witchcraft and not only deemed the teenager possessed but accused him of casting spells. Determined to cast the spirits out, Magali and Eric deprived Christy of food and water for three days. They stabbed him with knives, beat him with metal bars and a hammer, and eventually drowned him in the bathtub of their East London flat. When the authorities found his body, they noted his teeth had been knocked out. Christy died in unimaginable circumstances at the hands of people he loved and trusted. People we all loved and trusted, said the teen's father, Pierre. I feel betrayed to know that Christie's own sister, Magali, did nothing to save him. Makes that pain much worse. Charged with murder, Bikubai and Magali claimed at trial that the teenager had begged to die before he slipped in the bathtub he was kept in and drowned. Bikubai's defense lawyer argued he was mentally impaired, while Magali's lawyer argued Bikubai had forced her to help him torture the boy. Together, they also forced Christie's younger siblings to help in the ritual cleansing. Christy Bamu had been beaten until he confessed to witchcraft and asked for forgiveness. At that point, however, he had suffered 130 injuries. Eric Bikibai was sentenced to 30 years in prison, while Magali Bamu received a minimum of 25 years. Okay, so quick setup. This takes place at my childhood home, which sat at the edge of the woods. To separate the woods from the yard, my dad placed large boulders along the tree line. There is also a large mound of dirt from the foundation of the home in the woods. My youngest brother walks with a limp and was rather short and pudgy at this time. This is all slightly important. I was about 12 years old when it started. My two brothers, Jerry and Joe, their friend, Nate, and I were playing hide-and-seek around the house. The entire property was fair game, woods included. My youngest brother, Joe, was it, and me and the other two boys hid behind the mound of dirt. We waited there for 15 minutes and started getting worried because he never came looking for us. I remember volunteering to find him, and I ran all around the property, but never did find him. I went inside, and he was playing a board game with some other friends. Okay, no big deal. I asked an adult how long he had been inside, and they said 30 minutes. I ran back outside to tell the others. When I got to the hiding spot, they were laughing. They asked how I got away from Joe. I told them that he had been inside the entire time. They stopped laughing and looked at each other. I asked what was going on. Turns out they saw what they thought was Joe running behind me in the woods as I reached the rocks. He just disappeared. We saw him around a lot but kind of ignored it, chalked it up to kids' imagination and played in the woods in groups. A few years later, we had another friend over who had never been at my house. We were all playing inside when he came in the room and asked why Joe was playing in the woods alone. We explained that Joe was at a friend's house and there was no way it was him. He insisted it was. We asked who told him about the man and he had no idea what we were talking about. It still gives me the creeps to this day. And that, dear embers, brings a close to these true demonic and exorcism encounters. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection.
Until next time, please take care of yourselves. I'll be reading to you soon. Have yourselves a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.